Good mornings, I'm Chris Oaks, and coming up, who decides what is and isn't appropriate to be shared online? Allowing big tech to regulate itself may not be the best solution, but is government intervention a better alternative? Also this morning, recently retired Blanchard Valley Health System CEO Scott Mullaney and University of Findlay President Dr. Katherine Fell discuss their new collaborative partnership and what it means for the community. In today's Everyday Agriculture Report, what's new in the latest update of the dietary guidelines for Americans from the Department of Health and Human Services and the USDA, and our first look at the hottest new technology from this year's virtual consumer electronics show. This is the Good Mornings Podcast Edition for Wednesday, January 13th, 2021. WFIN News, I'm Matt Demchek. WTOL 11 first alert forecast is calling for partly sunny skies today and a high of 43. Mostly cloudy tonight, a low of 32. Governor DeWine has signed an order bringing hundreds of Ohio National Guard members into active duty. He says their activation allows them to begin training so they can help during the presidential inauguration in Washington and at the Ohio State House. The governor met with the National Guard and Highway Patrol following the release of an FBI bulletin saying right-wing extremist groups are planning violence as the president prepares to leave office. The governor says state authorities will do everything in their power to protect the Ohio State House. Get more on our website. Raise the bar. Hancock County has received a $250,000 grant from the state to accelerate workforce development efforts in the county. Executive Director Tricia Valesque. The community is really going to benefit from this grant program because we are going to bring more exposure of careers down to the students in the K-12 school system, as well as introducing the adult population to what careers are available. You can learn more about the grant and how it will help raise the bar's economic growth strategy for the county on our website. The governor has signed legislation that aims to put an end to what's known as surprise medical billing in Ohio. Kelly O'Reilly heads the Ohio Association of Health Plans and says the legislation will set up an arbitration system that looks at various factors. And the arbitrator then weighs those factors and determines what's a reasonable rate. She says those decisions over time will set the parameters for what a reasonable cost is and could eliminate the need for arbitration. Dave James, I went in news. Stock and Field is closing its 25 locations, including the one in Findlay at the mall. Stock and Field says they've partnered with providers of new merchandise and will be selling items at massive discounts in the coming weeks. The company thanks its employees and customers, especially in the rural communities it's partnered with. They say they hope to reopen some of their stores at some point in the future. Get more on our website. You can get more news online anytime at WFIN.com. I'm Matt Demchek with 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM. Did you see this? NASA has made a new discovery on one of Jupiter's moons. The solar-powered Juno spacecraft launched in 2011 has discovered an FM signal emanating from the largest moon of Jupiter. That's right, we're playing all of Jupiter's hottest hits. We've got Taylor Swift coming up on Jupiter's Hit FM. Uh, This is actually not the first time, they say, that uh, radio emissions have been recorded near Jupiter, but it is the first time the signal has come from a moon rather than the planet itself. And uh, Patrick Wiggins, spokesperson for NASA, makes it clear this is not evidence of extraterrestrial life unless they're playing... Justin Bieber. So, no, then uh, <laughs> it would not be t- signs of intelligent life. <laughs> anyway, um, I go on to say the uh, discovery adds to a long list of scientific findings suggesting a few of Jupiter's moons may be habitable. Again, it depends on what it is that they're playing on their FM station there, whether you would want to uh, habitate on uh, Jupiter's moons. <laughs> Hey there, a very good morning to you. I'm Chris Oaks. Coming up this morning, who decides what is and isn't appropriate to be shared online? Allowing big tech to regulate itself may not be the best solution, but is government intervention a better alternative? Also this morning, recently retired BVHS CEO Scott Mullaney and University of Findlay President Dr. Catherine Fell will join us 
to discuss their new collaborative partnership and what it means for the community. In our Everyday Agriculture segment this morning, what's new in the latest update of Dietary Guidelines for Americans from the Department of Health and Human Services and the USDA. And we get our first look at the hottest new technology from this year's Consumer Electronics Show, which is happening virtually this year. Those stories, plus the latest business, entertainment news, and more. This is Good Mornings for Wednesday, January 13th, the 13th day of 2021. There are 352 days until the end of the year. If you are looking for a reason to celebrate today, as if uh, discovering an FM radio station on the moon or uh, on the moon of Jupiter uh, isn't enough reason to celebrate. Uh, today is Korean American Day. We say hello and a very happy day to our Korean American friends. It is Make Your Dream Come True Day today. National Peach Melba Day. So if it is your dream to have a Peach Melba, have one today and you've take and share it with a, a Korean American, you've got it all covered. National Rubber Ducky Day today. Rubber Ducky, you're the one. Remember my Sesame Street and channeling my <laughs> inner child, my Sesame Street Day. Rubber Ducky. National Sticker Day and Stephen Foster Memorial Day. So if you walk around humming Camptown races, that's that's why you notice somebody humming uh, Oh Susanna today. That would be why. A couple of uh, interesting stories here off the uh, Newswire. Among the first things that you need to know this morning, the last 10 months, and I'm not telling you anything you don't already know, the last 10 months have been challenging for a lot of people, to say the least. The pandemic has forced many of us to adjust to an entirely different life that includes new ways of working, caring for, and teaching children, trying to stay healthy, remaining connected to loved ones any way we can. It's just been really challenging. More recently, volatile political events have shaken our faith in American government and the basic decency of human beings, perhaps. And at the same time, COVID deaths continue to mount. If you are feeling overwhelmed and burnt out, you are not alone. That is the long and short of it here. Uh, vale Wright, Senior Director of Healthcare Innovation at the American Psychological Association, says emotional exhaustion is a thing, and that's what it's called, emotional exhaustion. It is that sense of being overwhelmed to the point where you feel like you don't have the capacity to deal with it anymore. And I got to say, a week ago, it was last Wednesday that the, that the Capitol was stormed, and uh, my wife and I were watching some of the uh, coverage, the news coverage of the goings-on on, on Capitol Hill, and at one point, we just had to turn everything off. And I just kind of sat there in the living room for a while. And I turned the news back on after a while, had a, about 20 minutes to decompress and, you know, just kind of take a deep breath and relax. And then I went back and I watched more. My wife didn't. She was done. But it was that point where you just don't have the capacity to deal with anything more. It was sensory overload. Physical tiredness, mental tiredness. Uh, so if uh, all of those things that we experience when we are just at our limit, the experts say signs of emotional exhaustion include irritability, nervousness, frustration, general brain fog, feeling disconnected from others, muscle fatigue and tension, headaches, sleep problems, and more. So what do you do about it? Well, here's what they say. To feel better... You should set boundaries or decide when you can say no. And it is okay to tune out every now and then. Don't try to be a superhero. Think about what really refills you emotionally. Advice from the American Psychological Association. But I think just recognizing that you are not alone and that this is a real thing is actually uh, probably the best medicine 
realizing that you are not alone and you're not weird and there's not something wrong with you if you feel overloaded, emotionally exhausted. I think we've all felt that way at some point or another over the past several months and certainly over the past couple of weeks from time to time. A couple of other uh, interesting stories. Among the first things you need to know, the most buzzworthy stories of the day, this may be the best news, especially... You know, if you are feeling a little emotional overload, emotional exhaustion, maybe this will make you feel better. Girl Scout cookies are coming before too long, and the pandemic cannot stop the Girl Scout cookies from coming. Anyone craving your Thin Mints, your Samoas, you can soon get a box, and you don't even have to leave home. The Girl Scouts have partnered with Grubhub, to deliver their cookies. And that's not all. For those who don't live near a troop or don't know a scout, there is another contact-free way to order online starting February 1st. All you have to do is use the Girl Scout cookie finder to buy direct and have it shipped. And donations can also be made to local organizations. So, Girl Scout cookies not to fear... Girl Scout cookies will still be around this year, pandemic or no, thanks to the partnership with Grubhub. That is good news. You know, not all, thank goodness for meal delivery services and uh, rideshare services, that kind of thing. But sometimes it can get you into trouble. On a related note, <laughs> I, I was, a New Hampshire mom has been arrested for sending her three-year-old to daycare in a lift. <laughs> Apparently, uh, 35-year-old Stephanie Godu realized that she was in no condition to, dri- to drive her three-year-old to daycare, so she called a lift, <laughs> put the kid in the car seat, and off they went. Police learned that the toddler arrived at the daycare building alone in the vehicle, And uh, Ms. Godu is now facing charges of endangering the welfare of a child. However, uh, it it probably also has something to do with when they showed up at her house. She was in a state of incoherence, according to the police report. A state of incoherence. So, I mean, probably a a good idea on balance that she sent the kid to uh, daycare in a lift. But at the same time, probably not the best solution anyway i just uh, saw that story on the uh, newswire kind of got gave me a chuckle here this morning and you know we could certainly use it so there you go some of the uh, most interesting most buzzworthy stories to start off your wednesday morning america your children have an amazing superpower that's right they can help save lives by simply washing their hands. Just 20 seconds of thorough hand washing after they've coughed or sneezed or been outside can help fight against the dastardly spread of germs. Armed with only soap and water and hands, your superhero can protect you, your family, and everyone out there in America land. Amazing! Find out more at coronavirus.gov. A message from the CDC and the Ad Council. Well, this is a really intriguing debate that has become front and center over especially just the past week uh, based on some of what we have seen in the aftermath of those riots uh, at the U.S. Capitol. And that is the question of who decides what is and isn't appropriate to be shared online and how do they arrive at those decisions. Uh, Michael Brennan is a policy organizer at the Democracy Policy Network and a research fellow at the Democracy Collaborative, a nonprofit think tank and research center at the University of uh, Maryland. And Michael, this actually is not necessarily a new debate. Uh, certainly, uh, there has been discussion over uh, the president's use of social media to communicate uh, with his followers, mobilize his base uh, over the course of his term. But it really does seem to have come to a head with what we have seen over the past week and a half or so. Yeah, there's been longstanding questions of how social media companies regulate hate speech, regulate 
calls to violence, incitement to violence. Um, for example, in 2017, 2018, Facebook removed 2 million posts from, from ISIS-related accounts for their calls to violence, right? So there's obviously weaponization of uh, social media to decide what is legitimate speech and what isn't. And um, there's it was an issue in the recent election in terms of sure. um, you know, what, what was considered election interference, what was considered, you know, within the political discourse, right, around like Hunter Biden's uh, laptop, for example, right, that, that came kind of a lightning rod of uh, criticism from conservatives. And so it came to a head this past week because of how serious the threat to the democratic process has become with um, with the online speech. And People have uh, tossed around the word censorship, which obviously this is not government censorship, but it does then raise the question of if big tech is not able to regulate itself, is government intervention really a better alternative? Again, there's a few ways you could take it, right? So the first is there's the debate around Section 230, which is the legal liability protection that platforms have for any content posted Mm -hmm. on there, right? So if someone posts hate speech, if someone posts calls to violence, you can't sue the platform for that. You would um, go after the person who's, who's posting it. And that was part of the COVID bill negotiation in December. That was what Trump wanted repealed as part of his veto. Just to, and, inter- just yeah. to interject there uh, with respect to Section 230, I mean, there has been talk and the president, as you said, is, has really advocated for the repeal of those Section 230 protections. But if you were to do that, wouldn't that actually have the opposite effect? I mean, wouldn't Internet companies then be more likely to remove speech that they think might end up in a lawsuit? I mean, uh, that actually could uh, have the opposite opposite effect of uh, what is intended, could it not? Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, the position of the conservatives are kind of incoherent on that position. Like, I don't I don't think you should take it terribly seriously. But that being said, and getting to the second part of your, your question before, um, you know, the, these current dominant big tech companies, they're not really going anywhere. You know, Parler might come up as a niche alternative to them, but they mm-hmm. were never really going to meaningfully challenge Twitter or meaningfully challenge Facebook because of um, what we can call the natural monopoly tendencies of the uh, big tech companies. And that actually uh, kind of leads to my thought here in that we talk about what is, I mean, we are increasingly recognizing that this is a platform by which millions of people uh, get their uh, information and I'm thinking the solution to this issue that we have at hand today might be found in the way we have dealt with similar issues in the past. A hundred years ago, when broadcasting was brand new, uh, the government Mm -hmm. recognized its potential to sway public opinion and uh, the, the, the potential uh, to be so powerful that it stepped in and said, you know, there needs to be you know, some set of, of regulations, some rules of the road for broadcasters. And I know the Internet is much different and much more difficult to regulate. But at the same time, the European Union has figured out how to do that with privacy laws. Is it time to look at maybe some of those standards that were implemented in the infancy of the broadcasting industry and maybe adapting those for the internet as an information resource. Yeah, the past few years have seen a renaissance in antitrust action and antitrust interests, especially in regards to the big tech corporations. Um, And the House Judiciary Committee concluded their investigation in October looking at Google, Amazon, Facebook, and Apple, and essentially how they've monopolized a lot of the key sectors of the digital economy. Um, and so, like, for example, we can look at what happened with Parler as a good um, representation of this, right? So Google and Apple control 99% of the mobile app store um, marketplace. And so when Parler is reliant on those two monopolies in order to be able to get their uh, platform onto people's phones, um, Google and Apple are essentially able to squash the competition mm-hmm. or, with, with cloud services, Parler was reliant on Amazon Web Services, and so Amazon is able to 
um, essentially remove the cloud service in yeah. order for them to be able to operate. So even the co- competitors in the digital economy are dependent on um, the monopolies in other ways because the platform economy is interconnected in, and, in these different services. And the counter argument to the censorship accusation is that these are private companies. Facebook and Twitter are well within their rights to remove any content they see fit for whatever reason. And Apple and Google and Amazon Web Services are free to remove Parler the same way an owner might kick a disruptive customer out of their restaurant. But again, in the early days of broadcasting, you may make the same argument that if the president can't get on radio or TV, he can always send out telegrams or make phone calls to get his message out there. And at some point, it is just not a viable argument. As we become more reliant on the Internet as an information source, big tech really should have some responsibility to act as a public trust. And the cries of censorship really do take on a significant meaning, a significant relevance. Yeah. And like you're saying, you know, this is a longstanding problem, even predating the internet. And we're seeing a similar, maybe a different, qualitatively different, but a a similar type of problem today. And ultimately, and this is part of our argument that we put out in our paper is um, antitrust on on its own, even though there's a renaissance of it right now, right? There's kind of a somewhat of a bipartisan consensus that antitrust action needs to move forward, they're not really getting at the root of the problem. Any antitrust action is kind of predicated explicitly on a pro-competitive or a pro-market strategy still. Our argument is thinking of it as public utility regulation, which is historically how we've dealt with natural monopolies. Um, but still, again, like with you know electricity utilities, you can see how having an investor-owned utility still sets up a fundamental incompatibility with the public interest, right? They're able to lobby your local government to change regulations in a certain way. And there isn't mm-hmm. really a concerted counter counterweight in terms of the public interest to make sure that they're kept in control. And, and so over time, they're able to kind of creep back and continue their exploitation of the public. Um, and that's why we favor um, a new paradigm of public ownership of um, the platform economy, because it it actually gets at the root of these problems in a way that meaningfully democratizes these decisions and meaningfully brings them into public control. So many layers of this and certainly a debate that is not going away anytime soon, as you rightly point out. Uh, It's been going on for many decades, even predating the Internet. This is just a a different Mm -hmm. uh, platform to have the same uh, debate that we've uh, been having. And it's certainly worth pointing out as we talk about, circle back to that original question of who decides what's appropriate to be shared online. Even Parler uh, Mm -hmm. removed uh, some before they uh, ended up being shut down. Uh, even Parler removed some uh, posts that uh, were completely over the top. So everybody has their standards. It's just a matter of who decides and why. Um, Again, Michael Brennan is policy organizer at the Democracy Policy Network and a research fellow at the Democracy Collaborative at the University of Maryland. Michael, thanks very much for uh, taking the time this morning. We appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Well, as you may have heard, last week, Blanchard Valley Health System and the University of Findlay announced that they have formalized a collaborative affiliation relationship. And joining us to explain what that is and its benefits, what it means for each side and for the community as a whole, uh, recently retired Blanchard Valley Health System CEO Scott Mullaney and University of Findlay President Dr. Catherine Fell. And uh, thank you both for uh, taking the time for us this morning. Uh, Scott, I want to uh, start with you. Explain uh, this partnership, uh, who approached who, how it came about for the uh, benefit of those who uh, haven't heard or, or haven't heard all of the details. Uh, what exactly is going on here? Well, it all came about with... Um, just some discussions between Dr. Fell and I about how to take a relationship that had been cordial but unstructured and really not uh, directly focused on doing anything in particular to a much more disciplined, much more uh, intentional kind of relationship. So we talked about it. We started in March of last year. <clears throat> lots of excuse me, lots of discussions through the summer. And what we realized was um, the benefits for both 
can be very significant. Um, and uh, Dr. Fell, please uh, share your thoughts. Thank you, Scott. I agree with you. We we have had a number of uh, collaborations through the years by nature of who we are and what each of us does, but we did not have a formal partnership, and we believe that this is going to provide opportunities for even stronger health care for our community, and for our students, it will provide guaranteed rotation spots at Blanchard Valley Health System. We already have rotation spots there, but we will have more. We have a large number of health profession programs at the university, in fact, the largest number in Northwest Ohio. And we have become well-known for the quality of that education. Blanchard Valley is well-known as one of the top hospitals in the country. So a partnership between the two of us makes sense. And certainly uh, provides uh, benefits uh, and, and, and an attractive um, uh, an attractive program for potential students for the University of Findlay. So uh, a lot of benefits for the university uh, in this uh, in this formal partnership. That's right, Chris. We will we believe attract even more students to our campus to study health professions. We have twenty nine degrees and certifications in the health professions, and that includes, of course, the College of Pharmacy as well as the College of Health Professions. Many of them are already nationally acclaimed, but we believe this experiential learning opportunity will be an added attraction to students, and it will certainly boost the experience and the level of expertise our students gain by a broader array of mentors at Blanchard Valley available to them. We already have great mentors there, but we will have a broader uh, array of those mentors for our students. And we believe that having our students even more closely connected with Blanchard Valley will entice those students to stay in the region and in the community and our community clearly needs as many great health professionals as possible. No question about it. We graduate about... now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We graduate now about 400 mm-hmm. new health professionals each year, and we'd like to graduate more. And Scott, what is the benefit, the direct benefit for Blanchard Valley Hospital uh, through this uh, partnership? Will this, will this uh, make Blanchard Valley a, a, a teaching hospital like? UTMC or University of Michigan Medical Center, uh, the Wexner Center, that kind of thing. I mean, this doesn't uh, make you classified as a as a teaching hospital, does it? Correct. It does not. <clears throat> Although I smile when you ask the question because that term is today reserved for medical education, medical school, doctors. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know what the genesis of that is, but in the in the sense of the broader sense of that phrase. We're going to be doing a lot of teaching, a lot of experiential learning. I think the benefit for us is uh, a couple. Um, one is working with very intentionally with the university to try and explain to prospective students the kind of organized experiential learning they'll have. We hope will help us um, keep the quality of students we're getting now and maybe even improve it. And then for us, we're going to get um, access to more students that are in the learning process, uh, and hopefully that'll mean a greater conversion to becoming associates of Blanchard Valley Health System. And uh, that's a huge plus going forward. The number of people in health professions that are retiring right now is outstripping the number of uh, people coming out through graduation. So having sort of the inside track, if you will, for these students, ones that we already know, um, should be a huge positive over time. Is, is that the biggest, that kind of echoes what uh, Dr. Fell was saying uh, earlier, Scott, is that really the biggest takeaway for the community as a whole with this partnership? Uh, yeah, for sure. I'd say as a community as a whole. And then, um, as you well know, Chris, um, we look at this as, uh, just another step from a broader perspective 
uh, of enhancing the sense of community that we have when Tim Miley brings perspective businesses or businesses that want to have a greater presence here, hearing the story about how the university on the north end of town and the health system on the south side of town are engaged in a very intentional strategic relationship in our mind and in Tim's mind can't do anything but help. And with respect to uh, the community's interaction with uh, some of these uh, students who will be on campus, uh, they would be uh, at the hospital and at other facilities in the uh, Blanchard Valley Health System as well? Yes, correct. And and an additional um, benefit for our students, and we believe generally for the health profession workforce in our region is that that Blanchard Valley and the university are partnering to provide scholarships to a number of outstanding health professional students. We already, of course, the university does provide strong scholarship support for all of our students, Mm -hmm. but we are going to be able to up that opportunity for students. I think that too will um, attract more students and retain more students. And uh, does this uh, partnership then, uh, this this program, this collaboration, uh, it, I would guess it pretty much takes effect immediately, as uh, you both mentioned, that there have been, uh, there's been some uh, partnership and some collaboration in the past, so that uh, I guess would continue uh, on a more formalized basis uh, starting immediately. Is there, uh, is this an ongoing, open-ended uh, arrangement, or is uh, it like a five-year program, a 10-year program, something you're going to go back and, and look at uh, again somewhere down down the road to the possibility of how this is working can it be expanded can we do more that kind of thing yes to all of that <laughs> chris yes uh, we we have a a five-year agreement at this point but okay. we are um expecting to expand and deepen this partnership within those five years and to extend it beyond the five years we, we have begun already, and we envision many other ways that we can uh, make this partnership beneficial to the community and to each of our organizations. And uh, last... Lastly, I want to uh, get this in really quickly, uh, Scott. For you, this is kind of uh, your your last hurrah as uh, Blanchard Valley Health System uh, CEO. Uh, pretty nice way to uh, to uh, go out and and uh, you know, put the icing on the cake of of your time leading uh, Blanchard Valley Health System. It is um, being able to complete this process to work uh, as closely as I have with Dr. Fell and other people within the university uh, yeah it's a great pleasure so thank you yeah again uh recently retired blanchard valley health system ceo scott mullaney and university of finley president dr Catherine fell uh, with us uh, talking about their new collaborative partnership what it means for both entities and for the community as a whole we have the link up for more information uh, at our webpage. go to goodmornings.net and thank you both for uh, taking the time this morning we appreciate it thank you chris thanks chris have a good day The USDA and Department of Health and Human Services have released their latest update of the dietary guidelines for Americans. As a matter of policy, they look at this and revise this every five years, and it evolves over time. You remember when we were kids, it was the four food groups, and then it was the food pyramid and so on. Health experts and dietary experts will uh, revise their recommendations for what we should be getting more of in our diet, what we could, should be consuming less of. So what is new in the latest update of those dietary guidelines? USDA contributor Stephanie Ho has today's Everyday Agriculture Report. USDA and the Department of Health and Human Services have released the 2020 to 2025 edition of the Dietary Guidelines for Americans. These guidelines represent many years of hard work and dedication that reflect increased transparency, 
engagement, and robust science-based guidance. That was Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue, who was referring to the federal government's nutrition framework, which is published once every five years. He was joined on a virtual announcement by Health and Human Services Assistant Secretary Admiral Brent Giroir. We are so meticulous and careful about developing these guidelines because we use them to inform federal food and nutrition programs across the government. The HHS officials stressed that good nutrition is the foundation of good health. Impacting everything from diabetes and heart disease to cancer and dementia. The good news is that the science tells us that it is never too early nor too late to eat healthy, which is why it is so important to make every bite count. So what's new in the latest edition of the Dietary Guidelines for Americans? For the first time, the guidelines are providing healthy eating patterns across the life stages, as we call. So even beginning with pregnant and breastfeeding mothers for infants all the way through to older adults, we provide nutrition advice in the Dietary Guidelines for Americans at all those different life stages. USDA's recently departed former Deputy Undersecretary Brandon Lips also points to nutrition advice for children under two years of age. Certainly one of the most significant things in that is changes in recommendations on when we introduce food allergens to children, which should begin around the time of other complementary foods. Another focus of this edition of the Dietary Guidelines is an emphasis on the ability to customize recommendations. You can take the framework of the guidelines and you can tailor your diet to your preferences, to your cultural backgrounds, even to your financial needs to make sure that that will work. He says there also has been an effort made to make the information usable. There's an app for your smartphone. There's even an app for your smartwatch that can help you learn to take simple steps that will help you develop a healthier dietary pattern, healthier eating habits over time. He points to some statistics that make this an urgent issue. 74% of Americans are obese or overweight. On how we score a healthy diet, what we call the healthy eating index, the average American diet scores a 59 out of 100. That's a failing grade on any exam. Meanwhile, we received more than 100,000 comments from the public. We had seven public meetings where a committee of scientific experts reviewed the science, listened to the public, and made recommendations to USDA and HHS. More information is available online at dietaryguidelines.gov. People who want tools and tips about how to eat healthier can go to myplate.gov. This is Stephanie Ho for the U.S. Department of Agriculture in Washington, D.C. And we have the link to those updated dietary guidelines for Americans at our webpage. Go to goodmornings.net. Today's Everyday Agriculture. We interrupt this program to bring you a broken news alert. Quite a bit of broken news to report to you this morning. This Daily Digest of the odd and unusual side of the news is brought to you as a public service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. Now, this is the general rule of thumb. You are certainly free to wear your birthday suit in your own home, but you really should think twice before going out in your car. Police in Lincoln, Nebraska, arrested a 34-year-old Texas man on Monday after finding him naked in a gray Toyota Camry near 7th and Superior Streets in the city. The police say that they have taken no less than seven sightings. Uh, reports of, they have taken reports of no less than seven sightings of a naked man in or around a gray Toyota with Texas license plates just in the past week and a half. They say the man has so far uh, been charged with one count of indecent exposure but more charges may be pending. Exactly why he traveled to Nebraska to expose himself in his car is unclear. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he's recently moved to Lincoln, Nebraska. Maybe they're hoping he will move back to Texas. I'm not sure. <clears throat> I don't think it's legal in Texas either. I don't think... Speaking of... And this is maybe a similar story from the international file in Argentina... Uh, police uh, were called to uh, with a, with a report of a uh, <clears throat> an adult party, a swingers party, about uh, in a town just south of Buenos Aires. Uh, it was raided by police after they got a tip that the event was uh, the event, such as it was, was breaking lockdown rules. <laughs> That's what they were upset about it was breaking lockdown rules 
the group of couples, married consensual couples, had apparently paid for a weekend <clears throat> tour that included accommodation meals and several nights of fun as it was billed. But here's the problem. Police who responded to the event this past Friday say the couples were confused when the cops showed up and assumed that they were part of the show. <laughs> that the officers were strippers. Um, so it took a little while to convince them that, you know, they, they were actually in trouble. Uh, all of the guests were cited for breaching epidemic containment guidelines. The party organizer is expected to face a steep fine. <laughs> what? Wait, you're not strippers? You're not part of the entertainment? <clears throat> Always got to have a story out of Florida. Um, and this is in Tampa, where 51-year-old Scott Massa is recovering after trying to set his house on fire. Uh, police say he tossed a bucket of accelerant into his home, but only managed to catch himself on fire. <laughs> Not a high-level arsonist. Uh, he fled the scene and showed up at St. Joseph's Hospital, where he was treated, is being treated, and he was placed under arrest. Police have not said why the man was trying to burn his house down. <laughs> uh, arson is apparently not his bag. Um, and a couple of stories, kids doing the darndest things. A mom in the UK says she was in hysterics after she found what she initially thought was a tooth under her nine-year-old daughter's pillow. But then she realized it was a white tic-tac that had been broken in half and had the jagged end colored red. <laughs> uh, so her nine-year-old was trying to scam the tooth fairy. She found the fake tooth while making her daughter's bed and added that she and her husband explained to their daughter that the tooth fairy is too clever to be tricked and left a chocolate coin under her pillow instead of money. The uh, story shared on social media and has since gone viral. <laughs> Kudos for originality. Eh, she tried. And uh, in Vero Beach, Florida, a sheriff's deputy came across two kids driving around in a golf cart at about four in the morning in late December. When the cop gave chase, the boys dumped the golf cart and fled on foot. An 18 and 15 year old began running around in the tall brush and obviously were apprehended after trying to hide in a nearby construction zone. When asked to explain themselves, what in the world were you doing riding in a golf cart at four in the morning? The boys basically described uh, what they said was a diff difficult situation. Apparently, the kids got into a fight with a girl that they were visiting at her home because she said that they were lame. So they were escorted after the uh, fight ensued or an argument ensued. They were escorted off the uh, property by her parents and, well, they claimed they had no other way to get home other than to prowl around the area in hopes of stealing a golf cart. <laughs> they actually managed to steal three, as it turns out. When one cart ran out of fuel, they'd hop into the next available chariot that had its keys inside and continued their ride of shame home. Of course, they used the back roads, so I guess now not only are they lame, they're also criminals. So they've <laughs> faced three counts of grand theft. <laughs> the boys have been uh, taken to uh, the custody of juvenile authorities. There you go. That is kids who do the darndest things. That is today's broken news report. A service, more or less, of Hancock County Veterans Services. We now return you to your regularly scheduled programming. Take WFIN wherever you go with our updated mobile apps for iPhone and Android. And now you can listen to us on your Alexa device. Get the app at WFIN.com or in the App Store or Google Play. Plus, enable Alexa by searching for WFIN under Skills, and you'll soon be saying, Alexa, play 1330 WFIN. And the best part is the apps and skills are absolutely free. On the air at 1330 WFIN and 95.5 FM, online at WFIN.com, and on your smartphone, tablet, and Alexa devices. Well, the 2021 Consumer Electronics Show is underway this week, traditionally held in Las Vegas with tens of thousands of people. It is a virtual affair this year, and a much smaller event than usual, but still 
the place to find the latest and greatest technology. Award-winning consumer tech contributor to NBCNews.com, Andrea Smith is with us this morning with some of the stuff that has caught her eye. And Andrea, what do you see as uh, what do you see emerging as the top tech trends this year? Because it always seems like there is a theme, there is a distinct trend every year. You're so right. Every year there is a trend and we always kind of pick up on it by all the products we see. And this year, I have to say the trend is last year. It's really how our homes became our offices and our schools and how companies have taken notice of that. And they're really designing products to help us in our daily lives. So for instance, LG, they've really designed a lot of stuff to help our everyday lives. They know we're spending a lot of time in the kitchen. Their new InstaView door-and-door side-by-side fridges got some cool new upgrades. They've added UV nanotechnology in the water dispenser nozzle to help decrease bacteria. They've increased the size of the InstaView window. Knock twice to see inside and then grab what you want using Mm -hmm. that door-and-door without ever opening the whole fridge. It also has a dual ice maker with craft ice. They've got these slow-melting round craft ice they look so cool. Um, LG also unveiled its new laptop. The LG Gram 17 has a stylish new design, all-day battery life, and a productivity-boosting 16 to 10 screen aspect ratio. The 17-inch screen shows vivid colors and sharp, clear images, whether you're working on spreadsheets, schoolwork, or streaming a video. It is so lightweight, you can easily move it from room to room while working from home. Or you can take it on the road when we can finally travel again. And then since we're relying on our phones to do so much for us these days, the Mm -hmm. innovative form factor of the LG Wing makes it ideal for multitasking, gaming, viewing content. You slide the display of the LG Wing into swivel mode, and it rotates 90 degrees to reveal a second smaller screen, giving you more screen real estate when you need it. So... It's hard to picture, but you could just imagine checking your email on one screen and following a map on the other screen. You actually get two screens to do two different things. And it has impressive camera features and a built-in gimbal to keep your videos steady when you're on the go. You know, again, a lot of those things tick off those boxes of what was hot in the past year. Computers, uh, laptop computers were in some cases impossible to find because they were so uh, in demand and and obviously good cameras on our devices so important because we are uh, doing so much uh, virtual conferencing uh, either for work or for personal uh, use or whatever. So this uh, checks off a lot of those boxes and all of those categories. What are some of the other big uh, areas is they're showing growth this year. Well, you are exactly right. And and the other thing showing growth is, again, what we're doing, right? There's still those great STEM toys, the coding toys out there for kids. But this year, with kids going to school online, parents really were looking for ways to entertain or engage their kids away from the computer. So we're seeing products like the Tony Box, a screen-free digital listening experience designed to foster creativity and imagination in younger kids. It's a soft, squeezable, five-inch speaker cube that works with Tonys, the figurines that contain hours of content from, you know, classic storybook tales like Pinocchio or those Pixar favorites like Frozen and The Lion King. And then for grandparents who can't, you know, be with their grandchildren right now, you can record a Tony. You can record a personalized greeting, read a book, sing a song, and your grandchildren can play that. So it's really just a cute, personalized way of staying in touch without screens. That that is so sweet. And it brings up a good point that not all technology uh, involves screens necessarily. I want to kind of pick your brain as a, a bit of an analyst here. We mentioned that, that this is a smaller virtual event this year. Is that going to hamper the rollout of some of this stuff? Because so often companies rely on the buzz that CES generates as sort of a springboard to becoming the next big thing. Are they still going to be able to do that given the uh, the platform of the show this year? Yeah, I think they are. I mean, you're right. But the thing is, a lot of these products take almost a full year to come out. So the big, big item last year at CES, one of my favorites, just came out in December. It just 
took that long to get through production, to get, you know, into distribution. Sometimes they take that long. A lot of the smaller, the startups, you know, there was an area for startups at the show that you could walk around. A lot of those needed that buzz. They needed backing. They needed funding. And because there's no... Um, there's no in-person meetings going on right now. Mm. You may see some of those taking a little bit longer or not coming to market at all. But I think like the LGs, the big companies, they are already in production on on these devices. Yeah. And, and, the I, and that actually kind of leads to the other thing that I wanted to ask you about, because I, I, I also wonder what is uh, out there this year that is really out there. Again, usually there are these things uh, stuff that ranges from the incredibly practical to the ridiculously impractical, uh, impractical. And I did see that someone has a has like a smart bathtub that will draw your bath to an exact temperature and then set the perfect aromatherapy and do everything for you, uh, which is kind of over the top. Do you expect much of that kind of stuff this year? I don't. You know, we saw a lot of concept stuff last year, right? I think it was a roll of toilet paper that rolled towards you or something if you were out of PP and. <laughs> You know, some really weird things. And this year, we, we see some concept things. Like, we have seen um, transparent OLED screens. Now, it's hard to imagine right now how those will, will be used today. But down the road, there's a lot of use cases for them. And again, CES is, you know, what we see on the horizon. And it's a few years before it becomes mainstream enough for us to be using it. There's some things like, you know, a plastic bubble, literally, to walk around in. A lot of people are playing on the whole um, staying healthy and keeping away from people. There's some weird things going on, and I have seen some already. But, uh, no, I think this year, because that's what grabs the attention of the media as we walk down those aisles and yeah. go to the different events at CES. And I think there's less of that this year. And and you do make a, a good point that some of the stuff that seems pretty out there at first does eventually go mainstream. And I guess, uh, you know, like the, the even the first video games were considered nothing more than a novelty when they first were introduced. And look at what that industry has become now. So, you know, it's it's not just about the here and now. You really have to kind of be visionary to see the application of some of this stuff. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the foldable screens, right? You know. Um, a company had their foldable computer last year and we had the foldable smartphones. You know, is everyone going out to buy one? No, but it is really cool to think about how that could help you uh, as soon as that technology becomes, you know, a little more uh, honed down and a little less expensive. Yeah, a little uh, and a little more refined. Andrea Smith with us, uh, award-winning consumer tech contributor talking about this year's Consumer Electronics Show, which is underway virtually this week. And Andrea, where do we get more information on some of the stuff that you were talking about a little bit earlier. Head over to dailylounge.com. We'll link up to it on our webpage. Andrea, thanks very much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Thank you, and Happy New Year to you. And that will conclude our podcast for today. I want to thank all of our guests for joining us on the program. Remember, you can get more information about all of the topics that we talk about each day on the show at our webpage, goodmornings.net, always on 24-7 on the World Wide Web. Coming up tomorrow on the program, after a year of unprecedented economic disruption, a new report from the U.S. Chamber of Commerce examines the challenges American businesses now face in what will hopefully be a year of recovery ahead. We'll dig into that report with the Vice President of the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Until tomorrow morning, that is good mornings for this morning. Now that you've had a good morning, go on out and make it a good day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow.